0: Thanks to everyone for coming out on this Sunday afternoon in Spanish Word, Utah. Everything is based on the teachings of the Founder of Acharya, the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, the Divine Grace, AC, Bhantibhanaya Swami Prabhupāda. O madināti <speaking in the> marandasyaṁ ghanāganasyaṁ chatsīrī-dhī-dhāna-tāshmāyaṁ śrī-gur-de-dhāma-srī-cājana-ro-bhīstāma-stāpī-cām-yarabhūtāle yam garati svaparadhi i'm sure you've experienced i know i have seasons in your life when you feel like you've just forgotten you're just one of six billion people on the planet you're insignificant your hopes your dreams your aspirations don't really make a difference don't really matter we go through seasons where we're just spinning our wheels we don't seem to be making any progress no New doors are opening, no breaks are coming away, more of the same old, same old, month after month, year after year, even decade after decade. And when that happens, it's easy to get discouraged, easy to lose our enthusiasm, it's easy to start dragging through life thinking, nobody's interested, where I am is where I'm always going to be, nothing's going to change. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt forgotten? You've prayed and prayed and prayed, but it just seemed like God forgot about you. He just went on vacation, put you out of his mind. You had a season maybe even where everybody around you was blessed. Everything was coming up roses for everybody you know, everybody in your circle, except you. You're the only one who's not seeing good breaks. When that happens, it's easy to feel left out. Maybe you're married. But your relationship isn't as intimate as it once was. You're smiling on the outside, but in the inside you feel lonely, adrift. You feel insecure. Nobody seems to know. Nobody seems to care about what you're going through. It's as if you fell into a covered well in a remote part of the forest. You're down there in the dark. You're calling, help, help, help. Somebody come to save me. But there isn't anybody around to even hear you. Nobody around to care what you're going through. And nobody's going to save you. Well, if I've gotten you sufficiently depressed right now, <laughs> maybe I should tell you the good news. <laughs> Krishna, or God, says in the Bhagavad Gita, 15th chapter, God says, I'm situated. He has his own personality, has his own planet, far, far beyond this material world. But the reason that He's God is because He's not just someone remote, irrelevant to us, but because He's both that Supreme Person in His transcendental abode and He's also expanded Himself as the Paramatma, the Supersoul, into the hearts of every living being. He's not just distant, but He's also closer to you than a brother. He's in your heart. He knows what you're thinking before you even think it. He says what you need to remind yourself about is that I never forget my children. Father can never forget the children. The children might forget the Father, but the Father will never forget the children. Now, amongst His children, those who are serving Him, pleasing Him, by carrying out His greater plan for their lives, are especially dear to the Father. They're not out of His mind, even for a moment. So we have come to this material world. We don't particularly care for God. We don't certainly organize our life around him and his better desires for us. If we get in trouble, sometimes we'll call, we'll pray to God to intervene. And then as soon as the trouble passes, we say, God, thanks for stopping by. I'll catch you later. But we don't really care to revive our primeval, original, loving, intimate relationship with God. But he has not forgotten you. He has said in scripture that he's got your name tattooed on his hand. Yes, you might be suffering from a long-term chronic illness. Your dreams have been put on hold. You could be stuck where you are, where you've been for years and years. A parent, for instance, raising a special needs child. And in that sense, every child is a special needs child, aren't they, really? It's been such a long time since you've done anything for yourself, you can't even remember when that was. If any of this resonates, our message today is that Krishna, God has not forgotten your dreams. He's the one that put them in your heart in the first place. He has not forgotten the goals that you've put on hold for that child, for that marriage. And right now, if you've kept Him first place by chanting His holy names, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama, Hare Hare. He's working behind the scenes on your behalf, arranging the right people, the right breaks, the right open doors and opportunities. And at just the right time, in your due season, if you kept in first place, you're going to see that dream come to pass. You're going to see those goals fulfilled. Recently I came across a true story that happened during the Holocaust of the Second World War. Solomon Rosenberg and his wife and her two sons, as well as his parents, were put in a concentration camp for the crime of being Jews. It was a labor camp and the rules were simple. As long as you could work, you live. As soon as you're no longer able to be working, then you're exterminated. He watched first as his mother and father were marched off to their deaths, And his worry was that his next youngest son, David, wouldn't last long because David had always been a frail child. Every evening when he came back into the barracks, he would scan the eyes of the crowd looking for his young son. And He would find them huddled together. They would embrace each other, thank God for another day and say prayers. And one day he came back and he did not see the familiar face of his younger son in the crowd. Finally, He saw his oldest son, Joshua, huddled in a corner, weeping. He said, Josh, tell me, it's not true. Josh turned and said to his dad, it's true, dad. Today, David was not strong enough to do his work, and so they came and took him away. Solomon said, but where's your mother? Oh, dad, he said, when they came for David, he was afraid, and he cried. So mom said, David, there's nothing to be afraid of. Take my hand, and we'll go together. So this is a mother's love for her son. Any mother or any father knows what I'm talking about. That comes from God. That paternal love, that sense of willing to sacrifice anything and everything for your children comes originally from Krishna. And therefore it is most strongly manifest in the Supreme Personality of Godhead. When we say that Krishna, God, your Heavenly Father, remembers you, We don't just mean that he's dimly aware of you in some periphery of his consciousness. No, it means he keeps track. All the unfair situations, all the sleepless nights, all the tears you've shed, he's keeping note. And when the time comes, when enough is enough, he will step in, he will show up, he will show out, and he will pay you back with interest for all the unfair situations. When he shows up, it will be amazing. It will be uncommon. It will be supernatural. Prabhupada, our spiritual master, on the orders of his spiritual master, came to the United States of America at 65 to launch an international spiritual movement called Krishna Consciousness. He had no money. He was already 70 years old before he left India. He didn't know anyone in America. For a year, he had no fixed place to stay. He had no temple. He had no place in which to do his missionary work. All he would do is go down to Greenwich Village, a park there and chant every weekend on bongo drums a few hippies bohemians artists and musicians would join him and he would give a little talk and this went on for some time didn't seem like anything was happening he was staying in an upstairs studio loft with a boy named david david was a nice enough boy normally but one day he went out and he took lsd He came back and he was very aggressive. Some accounts even say he had a knife in his hand and he was chasing Prabhupada around the apartment. Prabhupada exited down the stairs, out the street into the Bowery. At that time, the Bowery was the most dangerous, crime-ridden place on the planet. And here he is, no money. It's the beginning of a long night. There's drug addicts, there's hoodlums, there's muggers. It seemed like that's all she wrote of. Hare Krishna movement is going to get nipped in the butt. It's going to end before it even starts. That moment, Krishna stepped in by causing Prabhupada to remember where one of his followers lived. It was a musician named Michael Grant, and Prabhupada was able to make his way to his apartment and explain the situation. Michael Grant said, This is terrible. Myself and my friends, we've been getting so much knowledge, so much nourishment. So much from you, and to date we haven't done anything back. Here you are, homeless and out in the streets. Next day he took up a collection amongst the people attending the chanting. And they rented a little storefront which became the first temple of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. Ironically, the signboard from the previous owners was still hanging there. It was called Matchless Gifts. And they were to cover the rent of a little apartment across the courtyard and up the third floor. Now there are 820 Hare Krishna temples all over the world and growing. Krishna came in at the moment when it seemed darkest. And we have that saying, don't we? It often seems darkest just before the dawn. Well, Prabhupada honored the Lord by chanting His holy names. He endured with a good attitude all the privations and challenges of having been alone and homeless in New York City, and he planted the seeds of faith, the seeds of devotion. If you do like Prabhupada in your own life, it's only a matter of time before your ship comes in. There's no need to drag through life defeated, feeling alone, overlooked, left out, forgotten. All you have to do is remind yourself that Krishna never forgets his devotee, not even for a moment. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare, Hare. Story from the Mahabharata, the great epic of India. Dronacharya was the son of Bharadraj. They were both Brahmins. They were very poor. Bharadraj was a military teacher. Unusual for a Brahmin, but he had military skills. In the school of Dronacharya's father Bharadwaj came this young prince named Draupada. He learned side by side with Dronacharya, the military arts, and they became very close friends. And in their youthful innocence, Dropada said that when I become king, I stand to inherit a vast kingdom and I don't want to rule that kingdom without you. You're like my right arm. You're like my brother from another mother. I want to make you a promise that when I inherit my kingdom, I want you to share it. I want us both to rule the kingdom. I'll give you half. So this was a promise that he uttered with all sincerity and he repeated many times. Eventually, there... Education under Bharadwaj ended and then Draupada went back to be further groomed, to become king. And Dronacharya took further military training. He went to agni like a graduate course. And then finally, the great avatar Parasaram, one of the ten incarnations of Vishnu, who had killed seventeen generations of Chatrias, was about to leave the earth and go back to the spiritual world. And he was distributing all of his talents and abilities, most of which were brahminical again. Dronacharya heard about this to get alms. He arrived at the of Parasaram. Parasaram said, I've given everything away except my military prowess. So I'll give you my military prowess. So here's Dronacharya. he learned from Barabras. He learned from Agnivesh and he learned from Parasaram. There was no greater warrior on the face of the earth. Dronacharya thought, now's the time, I'll go, I'll claim half of Dropada's kingdom we will rule together And with what I know, I can trade all of his soldiers. He will be insurmountable. His kingdom will be unconquerable. There will be no force on earth that would even dare to challenge him. However, as you see from the illustration here, he did not get the welcome reception that Draupada had promised him. Apparently, Draupada, once he got to be king, attachment is a very insidious thing. In India, if you've ever ridden a train in Bombay, it's packed, you know. And you're just so lucky if you get a seat. You're just sitting there. And what happens is a mother or an old lady comes into the car. And she just starts looking at you. There's no space between you and the next person. You're like half of what you are. And she just says, I can squeeze in there. I'm skinny. Say, okay, well, if you think you can squeeze. So you make it like an inch. She gets in there and like that. And pretty soon you're out. You're out. Her and all the kids in there. And you're out. This is what happened with Dropada. As long as he was distant from the throne, from the outside in, he thought, yeah, I would like to preserve my intimate relations, my friendships. Let's all bind together and make a really, really good ruling clique, a ruling elite. But once he got the power and people started glorifying him individually and praising him, lust, arrogance, attachment had now found its foothold and it just grew and grew and grew and he was not the same person he'd been as a student in the ashram. So when Dronacharya came to remind him of his promise, he said, I didn't make any promise. I didn't make any promise. In fact, I don't even know who you are. You're just some beggar come in here, penniless brahmin and you want to deprive me of my wealth and opulence and influence? There couldn't have been a greater setback for Dronacharya he couldn't have been pushed down more. He now had no employment. He'd spent all these years training himself. Nowhere to go. Just like Prabhupada in the streets of New York City. Just wandering the earth. But he kept a good attitude. He knew that God's test will turn into our testimony if we keep a good attitude. He didn't complain. He didn't have a pity party. And one day he was wandering in the area of the Karavas, and the young boys, Arjuna and Ashwattham, And others were out playing. Somebody dropped a ring down in the bottom of a well. They couldn't figure out how to get this ring out of the well. Dronachari was walking by and he said, Hey, sir, do you know any means by which we can get this? If we don't come back home with this ring, we're going to get a a whaling. Dronachari said, Let me borrow an arrow. Let me borrow a bow. And he shot down. He captured that ring with an arrow. And the boy said, Wow. They went back and they told their superiors about this. And then that man, he was hired to train all of the youth of the Karava dynasty. He did it very humbly and very submissively. He didn't uh, complain to them. He didn't tell them about his story. They had no idea what his backstory was. He kept it to himself. But when they were all trained up, and they were the premier warriors on the face of the earth, that opportunity had been dropped this, but he missed it. Now, he was the guru, he was the teacher of the most effective fighting force on the planet. And they came to him and they said, what can we give you? Teachers weren't salaried in those days, but at the end of the education, he passed dakshin, what gift can we give you? And he said, I want you to conquer the kingdom of Dropada. I want you to tie him up and bring him tied up and lay him at my feet. (laughs) Sweet, huh? Sweet. They defeated Dropana's soldiers. They tied up Dropana. Now, Dropana had forgotten about his childhood friend. Dropana had forgotten about the promises he's made, but Krishna didn't. Krishna didn't forget. Now, Dronacharya is getting not just half of the kingdom, but he's getting the whole kingdom, because he kept a good attitude. And he had the opportunity now to say to his childhood friend, Dropana, I'm going to be a better man than you. You promised me half the kingdom and then you claim to have forgotten about it. But Krishna did not forget. Krishna rewarded me because of my faithfulness and my good attitude. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you imagine being in this position, huh? I'm going to give you half of your kingdom back. So let's forget the past. Let's let bygones be bygones and move on from here. In the Srimad Bhagavatam, ninth canto, Krishna says God himself says that devotees are always in my heart and I am in the heart of the devotee. The devotee does not know anything beyond me and I also can never forget someone who's engaged in my service. And the Lord goes on to say there's a very intimate relationship between me and my pure devotees. Pure devotees and full knowledge are never ever out of spiritual touch and they are very, very dear to me. So let's adopt this attitude instead of complaining. Krishna, thank you for remembering my dreams. You put them there after all in the first place. Thank you, Krishna, for remembering my destiny. When it seems like there's not a chance of you fulfilling your destiny, prove your mettle. Pass the test by thanking Krishna in advance for remembering your destiny. Thank Krishna when it seems like nothing's happening. Thank him in faith for giving you a part to play in his grand design. Thank you in advance and in faith for engaging me. Thank you, Lord, that for me and my family, they will serve the Lord. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hari Ram, Hari Ram, Ram, Rama, Hari. Yeah. Is there someone in your life that's frustrating you right now? A family member, a relative, uh, a co-worker, or a friend, a neighbor, someone you're concerned over, they're just too cynical, they're too negative, they've lost their gusto, they just meet everything with cynicism and sarcasm, they weren't like that when you knew them in high school or junior high school. Well, Krishna hasn't forgot about them. And because you're praying for them, you're their well-wisher, you're engaged as a devotee in Krishna's service, can I assure you that supernatural things are going to happen to them in their lives. When Lord Jaitanya Mahāprabhu was on the planet, there were two criminals named and Madai. They were drunkards, they were debauchees, they were rapists, they were extortionists, they were armed robbers. There was no crime they had not committed multiple times, and yet, when they became Krishna conscious, there was an entire transformation of their heart. Their previous mess became their message. Thousands of people, after hearing of their conversion, Jagai and Jadai, can't be. You're kidding. That's not possible. Thousands and thousands of people became devotees of Krishna and took to the streets chanting. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. So the Lord had a plan for them even while they were doing their crimes. Once a devotee, this is in the 70s or so, he wrote a letter to Prabhupada saying that while many new devotees were coming, some of the older devotees were leaving the Hare Krishna movement and going back to their old lives this is what Prabhupada wrote in response. I'm glad to hear that new devotees are coming. As far as older devotees leaving, do not worry about them leaving. They will come back. Why will they come back? Prabhupada wrote, Krishna never forgets the service rendered to him by a devotee. And once tasting the nectar of devotional service, that devotee himself never forgets Krishna they will be back. Now like me, you may be far from where you'd like to be. You may be far below where you need to be. You may have a long road ahead of you. Can I tell you that if you've kept him first place by honoring him, chanting his holy name, associating with devotees, taking prasadam, and spiritual food offered to him, he can turn your situation around in a moment. He can thrust you forward explosively, suddenly. When Krishna has decided enough is enough, when Krishna remembers you and steps in, all the forces of darkness cannot keep you from your purpose. Sickness cannot keep you from your purpose. Disappointment cannot keep you from your purpose. Betrayal cannot keep you from your purpose because Krishna, supernatural Supreme Personality of God, with His own transcendental hand, is going to lift you out of the pit, set you on a rock, and put a new song in your heart. Hare Krishna Hare Krishna Krishna Krishna, Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare One last story here. This comes to us from Fred Craddock, a famous preacher. He was vacationing with his wife one summer in Tennessee. One night, they went to a quiet little restaurant wanting some privacy, and they were waiting for their food. They noticed this distinguished-looking man kind of making the rounds, going from table to table and chatting with all the guests. Craddock leaned over and whispered to his wife, I hope he doesn't come here. We're from out of town, after all. He didn't want anyone intruding on their privacy. But sure enough, the man came bouncing over their table. Where are you folks from? He says in a friendly drawl. Oklahoma, Craddock answered. Splendid state, I hear, although I've never been there. The stranger said, what do you do for a living? I teach homiletics, a graduate seminary at Phillips University. Craddock replied, oh, so you teach preachers to preach, do you, son? Well, I got a story to tell you. And then he pulled out a chair and he sat down at the table with them. Craddock's like, oh, my gosh. He groaned in, when, here comes another creature story seems like everyone has one. The man said I was born not far from here in those mountains. My mother wasn't married when I was born. I had a pretty hard time. I went to school and my classmates had a name for me and it wasn't a very nice name. I used to go off by myself at recess and lunchtime because the things they said to me hurt me inside and cut me deeply. And what was worse was going to town on Saturday afternoons and feeling like Every eye was burning a hole through me. When I was 12 years old, a new preacher came to our church. I would usually go in late and I would slip out early on Sundays. But on this Sunday, the new preacher, he said the benediction so fast that I got caught up in the crowd going out the door. Just about the time I got slowed down, a big hand clapped down on my left shoulder. I looked up and that preacher was looking right at me and a booming voice that everyone could hear. He said, who are you, boy? Whose son are you? I felt like I wanted to crawl in a crack somewhere. I felt like it was a big black cloud that had come over me. The preacher was putting me down in front of everyone. But all of a sudden, his face cracked in you know, a big smile, as if he had recognized me. Wait a minute, he said. I know who you are. I see the family resemblance. You're a child of the Most High God. With that, he slapped me on the shoulder. He said, Boy, you've got a great inheritance. Now go claim it. With that, that boy walked out the door a changed person. After that, whenever anyone asked him, Who are you? He just told him, I'm a child of the Most High God. At that point, the distinguished man got up to leave. and He said, You know, if that new preacher... Hadn't told me that I was one of God's children, I probably never would have amounted to anything. And he walked away. Craddock and his wife sat there stunned. He called the waitress over and asked her, Do you know who that man was that was sitting at our table? The waitress grinned and said, Of course, everybody knows him. That's Ben Hooper. He's a two-time former governor of the state of Tennessee. (laughs) We're all going to reach points in our life when we feel like we've been knocked down, we've been forgotten, we've been passed over, we've been overlooked. But if you can remember this one thing, don't look down at your problems. Look up at your God. If you look up when things challenge you, you will see those big heavenly saucer-like eyes of Lord Juggernaut looking down on you. Eyes of love. Eyes of compassion, waiting to rescue you, to defend you, to protect you, to fight your battles. Our hope is that you'll have this confidence today that no matter where you are in life, no matter what or who comes against you, you never feel alone. You never feel overlooked. You never feel gotten because Krishna, our God, remembers you. He remembers the dreams that He Himself put in your heart. He remembers the promises that you're holding on to. He remembers the sacrifices that you've made. He's keeping good records. You are unforgettable to Krishna. And when he remembers you, when he decides that your time has come, get ready, supernatural things are going to happen. You're going to go to where you could not go on your own. Doors are open that you could not open. Dark clouds are going to give way. Barren wombs are going to conceive. If you'll stir up your faith and believe that Krishna is watching over you, if you'll rise up and believe that nothing can keep you from your destiny if you keep him first place, then your time will come. Krishna is going to show up and show out in amazing ways in this life and next life, he's going to take you back to home, back to God. Hey, that sounds good to you. Raise your arms along with me. And can we say it together?